As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, happy February, and welcome to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You are listening to a podcast all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am Meg, I'm your host, and I'm a national staff writer at The Athletic covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. Now, speaking of the U.S. Women's National Team, we now have our roster for She Believes Cup, and we have the head coach of the team promising that we shouldn't read into it as Vlako Andonovsky is still in experimentation mode when it comes to this squad ahead of the Olympics. Despite this, Steph Young of All for 11 is back, and we will try to make sense of the team and how we are watching the decisions ahead for Andonovsky and crew as the deadline for the 18-player roster approaches. Plus, NWSL preseason is underway, and Steph has finally watched Ted Lasso. Also, one quick note, we do discuss WandaVision a bit at the end, and there is one spoiler if you are not caught up. All right, before we get started, just as a reminder, you can subscribe to The Athletic to read all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else we have to offer. If you start your new subscription at theathletic.com slash full-time, it's just $3.99 a month right now, and that subscription shows your direct support of our women's soccer coverage. That's theathletic.com slash full-time. All right, so as I just said, NWSL preseason has begun. Every single team has released their first roster of the year. Now, obviously, I'm not about to list every single one of these players on this podcast, but just one note to keep an eye on is that we still don't have the final list of U.S. allocated players for these teams. My understanding is because it is still actually in the works with multiple players obviously turning down federal allocation, and and the federation has a minimum number it needs to hit, so that means new offers need to go out, hence the delay. One big note for one of these NWSL rosters on Wednesday, the Orlando Pride re-signed Sydney LaRue to a new contract. LaRue is now on a max deal signed for three years with an option for a fourth. That new deal does include allocation money. Last Friday, I reported with my co-worker at The Athletic, Jeff Reuter, that Sacramento has hired Jill Ellis in a front office role with responsibilities both on the NWSL and MLS expansion fronts. One detail as well, Ellis is currently acting as the ownership group's representative on NWSL matters, including board calls and other communications. 
All right, since most of this episode is about the U.S. Women's National Team roster, I thought it best to provide the 23-player roster for She Blues Cup at the top of the show in case you, the listeners, missed it. So here we go. Goalkeepers, we've got three, Jane Campbell, Casey Murphy, and Alyssa Nair. For defenders, eight have been called up, Alana Cook, Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Crystal Dunn, Kelly O'Hara, Midge Purse, Becky Sauerbrunn, and Emily Sonnet. Six midfielders with Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Rose Lavelle, Katerina Macario, Christy Mewis, and Sam Mewis. Six forwards, Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, Megan Rapino, Sophia Smith, and Lynn Williams. And also notably, there are three training players who are only going to play in the camp before departing ahead of these games with Emily Fox, Jalen Howell, and Mallory Pugh making that list. All right, so players will start arriving in Orlando for the start of camp on the 8th, Katarina Macario is set for that date. Alana Cook will be incoming from France shortly thereafter. And the players in England are scheduled to arrive on February 13th. Games start on the 18th, and last week, Japan withdrew from Shibli's Cup, citing COVID-19 concerns. Argentina has already been tapped as the tournament's fourth team. Now, if you're here in the States, every U.S. Women's National Team match will be on FS1 and TUDN. We're still waiting to hear how to watch the other matches of those three doubleheaders, but my guess is U.S. soccer will end up streaming them. All right, so you've got the roster. Let's get right into it with Steph Young of All for 11. Okay, let's talk about a U.S. Women's National Team roster in which the first instruction from the U.S. Women's National Team head coach is said, don't read into this, which has he met (laughs) everyone who watches the U.S. Women's National Team? Now, personally, I appreciate this because I frequently get asked, what are your thoughts on the U.S. Women's National Team roster? And I think, okay, I mean, I certainly have thoughts, but also Vlatko Andonovsky knows more than I do. And... Sometimes that's where I have to end because he knows more than I do. So when you when you were on this call, we were both on this media call, and you hear Blacko Andonovsky's first words on this media call are, "I wouldn't read into this at all." <laughs> How's your? What's your reaction? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember seeing in the prep for this recording your little notes, and you're just like you put a bunch of question marks right after that <laughs> note, like. He's been around long enough to know that he can tell us not to read into it, but we're gonna. (laughs) I mean, what I think is, and this is a conversation that I had with Heyo on this podcast, is just what we are capable of seeing when it comes to the U.S. Women's National Team is so little compared to what Flacco Andonovsky is seeing. He's seeing all of training. He's got all the data. He's got all this video. He's talking to NWSL coaches. He's talking to European coaches. He's looking at this much wider pool than we've ever been used to with the U.S. Women's National Team. And it's just like, I can try to predict it. I honestly, and I I don't begrudge anyone who who is doing like, you know, mock 18-player Olympic team rosters or anything like that. I think they fundamentally will tell you more about the person who is writing that roster and what they value in a team and how they would build a team than what Vlatko Andonovsky is about to do, though. Because I... We've got a lot of paths and we've got a lot of competition for 18 spots. And I think that some people might be good at guessing what he's going to do. I don't personally feel like he is able to be anticipated in a way where I could sometimes look at Jill Ellis and be like, I see exactly the process that she is on. It's interesting you mentioned Jill Ellis because I was just thinking 
I think Jill Ellis was as knowable a quantity as we could get in terms of coaches and rosters. And I was just thinking about how um, her recall of Allie Krieger like blew all of our minds. We just didn't see it coming, even though all of the dominoes were there, right? Including her own unwillingness to develop the that defender and fullback pool. And then when crunch time came, she was like, oh, no. Oh, no, Mr. Bear. Do we have any fullbacks? <laughs> yeah. And then Alec yeah. Krieger was like, oh, I'm still in pretty good shape. Well, you know, and then she kept getting called in, and then she's not called in for this one. So I, like, I don't trust my own ability anymore, really, to <laughs> accurately judge a lot of these things. Like, yes, there are some relative certainties about, like, Alex Morgan and Kristen Press, Lindsay Horan, Rose, like, Sam, um, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But... Just ever since then, I was so shook that <laughs> you were shooketh. Yeah, I was. I was so shooketh that <laughs> it's kind of actually messed with my ability to be like, yeah, of course, like this person is out, or yeah, of course, this person is solidly in. Um, I don't know. Maybe that says way more about me than it does about anything professional to do with Joe Ellis or Vlako Adnovsky. But like you said, there's so much internal data that we're just not privy to. Combined with, sometimes you just don't see it coming. So I, 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 you know, when he says don't read into this, it's a combo of, like, he wants us not to read into it. And on our side, like, <laughs> our ability to read into it is maybe not good. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's, there's multiple layers happening here where it's both like, sure, we would like to read into it because obviously, and this is what I wrote, for my story, like it is a data point that he is considering, right? Like he's getting looks at players. The call-ups are one data point. The actual minutes being played are another data point. The form when they're actually getting those minutes are another data point. But they're still operating in this much larger sea of information. And we're like contained in this little rowboat <laughs> and trying to navigate by some stars, which are very cloudy right at the moment in terms of figuring out where his head is at. And it's just like, I think... What's very interesting to me is he is a coach that is both so willing to tell people more things, and yet the more he says, also the further I feel away from knowing definitively what he's actually trying to do, beyond the fact that I, I do truly feel like the only certainty with Vlako Andonovsky is he wants to win games, and he wants to win them in a way that no one has ever done before, and he is both the nicest human being who wants to destroy people. That's the only certainty when it comes to Michael Andonofsky. That and his love of wall signs from Home Goods. That lovely <laughs> man who does his his Zoom calls from home in front of his like little inspirational wall art. Like this is what we're dealing with. So I just think it is it's such a funny thing of, you know, in sports there's such this business of Let's try to let's try to anticipate this, you know, mock drafts, mock rosters, all of this kind of discussion that happens around a team at any given point. And it is so funny because, yes, after Jill Ellis, the Alley Krieger thing, I think the other thing that to me really stood out about her tenure was the really up and down approach to Sam Mewis of Sam Mewis being one of the true stalwarts of that team dropping off the radar entirely and then suddenly starting in the World Cup, right? Like, I think everybody going into the 2019 World Cup 
looked at that midfield and said, Julie Ertz, Rose Lavelle, Lindsey Horan. And then Sam Mewis suddenly is back in a very meaningful way that I think some of us might have preferred, but couldn't necessarily anticipate. Here's the thing. with We're dealing with puzzles, right? And you and I and fans and stuff, we're doing the baby puzzle that has like six pieces. It's there for teaching children motor control, right? Vladko has the 1,000-piece set. We only see a couple of the pieces, so... And he's the one who has the picture on the box. We don't have the picture on the box even. We just have kind of the pieces and we're like, mm, this looks like these colors and a couple of these. So maybe it's a picture of a waterfall. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of metaphors here, but that's one that strikes me, especially the one about being a baby who can only handle like <laughs> elementary shapes. Yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, this is... I could go into a very long uh, thread about after having watched in and of itself, there's that whole story about like six blind men happen upon an elephant and try to figure out by committee what the elephant is, right? Yeah. First of all, I'm going to talk more about this in this podcast. Please watch that show. But like that is what we're doing. We are the we are the six blind men trying to figure out that this is an elephant. And Vlako Andonovsky is out here being like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess in this situation, actually, Vlako Andonovsky's roster is the elephant. But that aside, let's actually talk about some of the decisions that went into She Blues Cup. What's funny is I feel like the reaction on Monday was really strong. And the first time I looked at the roster, I was like, this is not that different? Question mark. A lot of it, and and we'll get into injuries, but some of it is kind of determined by some of the injuries around this team right at the moment. But when it comes to players on or off, really, I mean, obviously there were a few big names. I think Allie Krieger was the name that probably got a lot of attention, but also Ashlyn Harris. So let's we'll start with the goalkeepers, but Alyssa Nair, Jane Campbell, Casey Short getting her first call up. Casey Murphy. Casey Murphy. Too many Casey's. Too many Casey's. Yes. Casey Murphy getting her call up, um, which is the first time that we've seen her in in quite a while. Although, again, like we knew that she was in that goalkeeping pool. Right. I mean, I mean, you can also look at this from the perspective of Aubrey Bledsoe's not getting called in as mm-hmm. much as you're looking at Casey Murphy is getting called in. And like you talked about with the injuries thing, French, he said that she's progressing well, but she's still not physically fit for camp. Yep. Um, and, you know, he's he's it sounds like he's got a goalkeeper pool of anywhere from like five to eight or nine names. Yeah. And yeah. then he's he's got a number one. But mm, I mean, I, I was so upset when I looked up Aubrey Bledsoe and remembered she's 29. I think she's 29. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Because if she's 29, that means I aged as well. <laughs> In my head, Aubrey Bledsoe's like 25. And I was like, no. Right. Like, right. 
time continued. Um, so it feels like kind of the window is shutting on some of these. And he was like, okay, I don't want to say they were unserious games because first of all, don't want to disrespect Columbia like that. They clearly had a game plan, executed it like serious opponent. And second of mm-hmm. all, Vlatko himself is like, there's no such thing as an unserious game. Um, but at the same time, we are moving closer and closer to a serious competition date. And she believes like replicates tournament conditions, which means it's probably something you look at more as opposed to two friendlies um, set during the week for, you know, evaluation purposes. So Mm -hmm. as much as he said, I don't think we should read into this at all. (laughs) I, you know, you and I are reading into like, he's not bringing in Aubrey Bledsoe or Ashlyn Harris, as much as he said, like Ashlyn Harris is a totally known quantity to him, Mm -hmm. which fair. And then Jane Campbell and Casey Murphy are less known quantities. Again, fair. At the same time, it's hard not to see certain signals here about the future of this pool for this summer and beyond, assuming the Olympics happen. Right. Which is the big caveat of everything that we are talking about, of course, though. We, we'll just we'll just sidestep. Let's just assume that this world is bold enough to decide that an Olympic should happen in a pandemic. Let's just put it this way. I went out and had to expedite my passport renewal because my passport would have actually expired three days before the start of the 2021 Olympics. And the U S Olympic committee was like, hi, fix that. Thank you. So I am assuming (laughs) we're gone, but yeah. 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 So we'll just assume like the skeleton war hasn't gotten us all by then. (laughs) Okay. Um, I think the other big takeaway from the goalkeeping pool, and I think to your point, there is as much as we're not reading into it, I think when it comes to, or at least attempting when it comes to an Olympic roster, I think that there are maybe some more signs in terms of looking at the the goalkeeping pool in general, right? Having a sense of where those names are at. I think, you know, someone in, in the comments of my article was like, do we kind of have a sense of who's the number two goalkeeper right now? And that is absolutely, I think, the most impossible question to answer really generally at most times when it comes to the U.S. national team, but particularly under Vlako and Donofsky, because I think you could see more of a hierarchy in previous versions of this team, right? Like we knew kind of who was behind Hope Solo for a very long time. That question it feels very, very difficult to answer right now because I think that there are at least three contenders between Campbell, uh, Bledsoe, and honestly French when she's back. But again, French also, like, age is going to become an issue, which is why I think Casey Murphy is getting more looks. Like, these are where I think the signs are in terms of thinking long-term Who's getting into this environment? Who's getting looks in this environment? Like, that's where I think it's easier to read Flacco's intention rather than when it comes to straight up, here's my Olympic roster. I would say, so I just remembered AD French is 30, which yeah. is even worse than remembering Bledsoe is 29. <laughs> um, because while you were talking about this, I was like, if French were healthy, in my mind, she would be the clear number two. Mm-hmm. Um you know, assuming everything had proceeded on a normal trajectory from what we could see based on available data. Caveats aside, now that I remember things like age and time, 
it, it it becomes much more important to me that he has Jane Campbell and Casey Murphy in, two youngish keepers, um, especially considering the timeline of goalkeeper age versus career as opposed to field player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I was thinking about like he wants these young keepers that he can really fully integrate into his playing style. Like, remember when he was talking about Alana Cook and he was describing her and she has all the best qualities of old and new that he values. Like, old school defender, has the old school stuck in mentality, but she has the new evolved defender ability that he really prizes, like great entry passes, great range. She can play out of the back. She really contributes to his ability to play from all three lines, right? So... Yes. You know, he can have three lines of attackers as opposed to a defense midfield attack, or he can have three lines of defenders, stuff like that, that level of adaptability. So out of all the goalkeepers that he's got in, regardless of age, which ones do we see being most adaptable to being able to like fit into the system that we can see Vlatko is heading towards? Right. And this is where I think you know, maybe not between now and the Olympics, we're going to have a huge amount of data, but over the next cycle, right, as we get into 2023, that's where us watching NWSL games is going to be more instructive as to, we know that we're watching the same games as Andonovsky. We know NWSL form is going to be important, but also what is he seeing potentially from some of these goalkeepers that can then be tweaked and used in the national team system? And I think that's what's really interesting about Casey Murphy heading to North Carolina, right? Because North Carolina has traditionally been a pretty decent (laughs) feeder in terms of national team players. So I think that there is going to be something there at least, but also, I mean, Jane Campbell with Houston, right? Like Houston dash are definitely on the way up. It's, it's, you know, both of us watched Alyssa Nair kind of, uh, earn her time in Boston and earn her goalkeeper of the year awards, uh, just simply by basically being the one person standing in front of the shooting line, right? And that's not what either of these players is at this point. So, right. I I do think that once again we don't have all the puzzle pieces. When I look at Jane Campbell, I see someone whose development has kind of comes in fits and starts and some regressions and it's not a clear through line, which to be fair, it it isn't always a clear through line with players. There's always mm-hmm. going to be setbacks, steps forward. But, you know, Jane Campbell, for someone who maybe under the Jill Ellis era um, seemed to be clearly stepping into like that number three position is now very much unclear. I don't, I don't know. Do you, I, I wonder if U.S. soccer coaching staff has been like, look, unless you get a better goalkeeper coach in Houston or something, it's really going to impact your ability to, to progress with this team. Although not to veer too, too far off course, but that's also like, well, what can you do? You're just one player. Like you can't right. be like, hey, I uh, need a better coach so that I can go play for the national team. It's like, well, hmm. so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's she's 25. Casey Murphy is 25 as well, I think. I think Casey Murphy's 25. Yeah, my ability to retain player oh, age she, when I I my birthday's coming up in exactly 2 weeks and if you uh ask me what age I am turning in 2 weeks, my ability to answer that question varies by the day because I honestly don't remember half the time. So if I can't remember my own age, I 
generally don't feel great about <laughs> being able to remember how old players are. Right. They're I peers, wanna, though. They're peers, so. Yeah, mm. right, right, yeah. All right, I want to move us next line up, talk about defenders, where I feel like there is some more clarity. I mean, I feel like that starting line from the 2019 World Cup, I mean, obviously, Dahlkemper, Don, O'Hara, Sauerbrunn aren't really going anywhere. It really then becomes, okay, the fate of Sharon Davidson, Emily Sonnet, right? Like, I, I almost feel like there are kind of tiers in terms of absolute locks, pretty solid, right? I think Davidson and Sonnet are both in that pretty solid category. And then the people that are kind of in that bubble, right, where we've got Krieger, we've got Midge Purse, we've got, I think Alana Cook is now kind of moving from that third tier into the like, oh, She's she's getting consistently called up again. Like there's something that Andonovsky clearly values about her. Um, but what are what are the the takeaways here in terms of you know I think it's a probably the fewest surprises in my opinion when it comes to that list of defenders for she believes cup. Right, because consider who got kind of pushed out, which is Emily Fox, but she got named as a training player still right. and Vlatko as he said in the press call he named training players because these are players who he couldn't fit into his roster but was like I want to have him in camp anyway so we're going to create a category called training <laughs> players <laughs> and they're going to come play with us anyway because I still yeah. want them so yeah. um yeah I if we break it down more looking towards central and then fullbacks um you know that Alana Cook Tierna Davidson thing like i think it's going to be interesting to watch what develops between her abby doll kemper and uh alana cook after sarah retires because mm -hmm. it's it's also not a case anymore of like oh we'll just drop juliet's back right you know so uh, we we've been so used to doll kemper and sarah for so long that that pairing has been so stable i think people have really taken for granted how stable that pairing has been for so long. And then when you lose it, it's going to be like, <laughs> it's not exactly <laughs> going to be over the time. back line. Yeah. yeah the yeah, angst yeah. over the back line of this team. I mean, I feel like for as much as we tend to stress over kind of the, the chain of command when it comes to goalkeepers, I, I think honestly, thinking back to my first experience with this team, like really coming back into it, I just remember 2011 world cup. And kind of some of the questions around that, but like that has always been, I think, like the fundamental panic about this team, which is very funny because then also like sometimes you look at some of these and you're just like, they're fine. Like that's why 2019 always felt very funny to me because I looked at that back line and like, yes, obviously Crystal Dunn being converted was obviously kind of like the biggest question mark around it. But you look at the rest of it, you're like, we're good. <laughs> like everyone can calm down. Like this is not fundamentally a problem but I think whenever you get that sort of passing of the baton from one especially center backs I think very different beast than when fullbacks get shifted in and out but like as you start to lose those fundamental center back pairings and start to figure out where the chemistry is between the next set so but I feel like Davidson has been kind of that next center back now for basically as long as she has been in the national team picture. Yeah, she feels pretty solidly in that next tier of like, you know, she's being groomed clearly to be somebody's <laughs> successor here. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then, like you said, Alana Cook, like, the feeling is, oh, okay. Like, he's pulling her out of France, and he's naming her directly to the roster. And, well, okay. I see mm-hmm. I see that, like, he has some plan for, for her here. Um, mm-hmm. Right. I, I honestly feel way shakier about the fullback situation and how he's going to set that up because he gave us a game where we got two defenders as forwards, Crystal Dunn and Midge Purse. And it just, it's the same thing with Allie Krieger, but on a smaller level, I'm like, okay, I thought I knew what things were, (laughs) but when you do new things, which it wrinkles your brain, right? But the thing is, it's the thing that I wanted because it's the way things used to be. Um, But now that you've made a new status quo and you're putting them back to the way they were, it's like, I. (laughs) (laughs) All right, is is Crystal Dunn and Midge Purse on the top line at the exact same time? The dot of the eye in Jeremy Baramy for your brain when it comes to the U.S. Women's National Team. Yeah, it broke me a little bit. <laughs> Children need stability in the midst of change. <laughs> All right. I want to, I, I, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about was actually some of that versatility, right? Like we know what Crystal Dunn is capable of. I mean, <clears throat> it has unfortunately become kind of the joke of like he can put her anywhere on the field, right? Like this was almost the Kelly O'Hara problem uh, over the last cycle right of she can she can play anywhere you can you can slaughter in anywhere but does what's done is a lock like no one needs to have a question about crystal dunn being on this roster midge purse though the fact that blacko andonofsky has been extremely consistent about she is a capable forward we know like we know what she can do as a forward we want to test her as a fullback does that potentially give her an edge when it comes to making the Olympic roster that she could potentially, if you listed her as a fullback, play anywhere on the wing? And that gets you three positions with one pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I think one of the things that we've seen under Vladko and Jill, a lot of coaches, is they value the ability to mix and match their roster. Um not necessarily in that core, like up the middle, but mm-hmm. your your wingers, your wide players, your wide attackers, they really love the ability to um, shift people between lines. And we can also talk, if you want, about how it's unfair that this burden often seems to land on black players. Um, they're not allowed to develop at being best in role. Uh, like, you're not getting... Um, white players like Lindsay Fran and Roosevelt and Sam Mewis. Once again, they are core central players, but so is Crystal Dunn. Mm-hmm. And she plays that role for North Carolina. So we can certainly put like an asterisk on how a lot of the players who are asked to do this shifting are, are black through a variety of factors. Um, but I think it does give Midge person edge that she has the ability to play that wide attacking role she can also be the fullback who gets in line we saw that in columbia she was relentless Mm -hmm. she was like i know what i'm supposed to do i'm taking this ball to the end line (laughs) you're not gonna stop me and then we're either gonna find the cross or we're gonna have someone coming up through the half space in order to provide you know service like one way or another she's Mm -hmm. going to complete her assignment so you know 
pretty good data point for her in terms of, you know, being asked to do her job as a fullback. So I would say after the Columbia Games, I'm really eager to see if she can continue that on into She Believes because if she has a solid She Believes, then I would be like, she's edging pretty close to the top of that second tier that we talked about. Right, right. I do think, I mean, I just remember uh, Ella's trying to, how many times has has Tobin Heath played as a fullback? Because, I mean, it has happened, right? But the expectations of Tobin Heath stepping back into the fullback role, or Heather O'Reilly occasionally, like, did it a couple times as well, right? Which the enthusiasm was there, <laughs> but it's not it's not full conversion project, right? Just to your point in terms of having that versatility of some players. We have seen it from other forwards just at a much, much lower extent. Uh, moving into the midfield, which uh, I feel like is probably the the area of this team that is kind of the most locked in. We've got four midfielders already that you really can't get onto the field at the same time between Ertz, Lavelle, Horan, Mewis. God, looking at this midfield, <laughs> if you were any other team, even if you were the number two team, right, looking at this as the number one team, you would just have to sit down for a minute and be like, okay. Like, don't panic. Just just find some kind of, like, zen level of acceptance that the world is the way that it is. You can't change it. You are going to have to deal with some combination of these midfielders at some point. So you might as well stop crying. <laughs> okay. And then the two other names on the She Believes Cup roster, Christy Mewis, right? Great. Mm-hmm. Love it, obviously. And Katarina Macario. <laughs> Macario, Which- I... I don't know, like, maybe this is overhyping her, but we talked about locks. I think she's a lock, barring I, some catastrophe. I don't disagree with you. I she, that's, that's the wild thing to me is I feel like I tried to uh, tamper down my expectations for Katarina Macario, and then she gets called up three times in a row, right, without even being able to play. So clearly she is impressing within the camp scenario. Then she gets her debut, pretty good performance, only doesn't score her debut goal in that first game because it takes a deflection and goes wide. Then she starts her first game and scores her first goal. And yes, I think we need to see her against tougher competition, sure, but also knowing the fact that, as she said in her own post-game interviews, the training environment is much more difficult than pretty much any other game that they're going to play. At this point, I think, you know, it's it's looking back at that 2016 roster for the Olympics, and it's the same thought process, I think, that Jill Ellis had with Mal Pugh of why not get big tournament experience for your next generation of player? Like, if you're going to use one spot, why would you not use that one spot on Katarina Macario? Right. If there's going to be any wild card here where it's like, oh, she'll rot, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, yeah, we'll we'll see how she plays against, you know, for example, a Canada, which is the equivalent of (laughs) (laughs) the rumble. Sometimes you train to for skill and sometimes you train for endurance. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like if you're a rookie joining NWSL and then you get trucked by Julie Ertz. You know, 
It's like yeah. that you gotta you gotta start adapting to that. So Canarina Macario getting adapting to like getting set up and knocked over by a couple of burly Canadians, it'll be good for her. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's move up to our final final portion. We've got Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, Megan Rapino, Sophia Smith, and Lynn Williams in the mix. And this is also, of course, leaving out Tobin Heath, who's currently injured, right? Out 10 to 12 weeks. Mallory Pugh is in as a training player. Um, this is where I, I think we're going to get into the most angst when it comes to actually the, the selection of the national team roster because, I mean, this is my guess, and this was kind of what I suggested in the story. I could see Waco splitting up the roster as two goalkeepers, six defenders, five midfielders, five forwards. But you've got at least seven (laughs) real contenders, maybe eight, but at least seven for five, potentially four spots. Right. So I I would break this down positionally again. So in that center channel, when you look at the names available you immediately home in on Carly Lloyd and Alex Morgan, right? That's your center channel players who have, you know, kind of different roles within that center channel based mm-hmm. on their abilities, but you you know they're probably going to go centrally. Then you have your Y players, Press, Rapino, Sophia Smith, Lynn Williams, and then Mal Pugh, assuming, mm-hmm. right? Um, and Tobin Heath. And Tobin Heath. So when you look at that... It, and their functionality <laughs> wide, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Is this what a panic attack feels like? <laughs> but also, so the other thing that we're we're also leaving out here is the fact that Katarina Macario in her second game played as that kind of false nine role centrally, yeah. right? Yeah. So that also gives you cover when it comes to potentially, yes, she is listed as a midfielder on these forwards line, but this is, the terror of the Swims national team is that so many players can slot into different roles. And we have now seen, and Blocko has outright said, yeah, we're considering her as a number nine, but in that kind of false nine role, playing centrally, doing something also very different from both what Carly Lloyd and I think Alex Morgan do as that central target forward. So. Yeah, the team is like a transformer where like in every Michael Bay movie, like the transformer gains like some new transformer thing, probably to sell more toys, but it's like they can become a jet. They can become a fire engine. Oh, they can become like a rally car. Uh, They can become a a hydraulic crane now, you know? So yeah, yeah. We're up to like, I think, seven different cars at least. (laughs) All right. So I think this is obviously, you know, Sophia Smith to me definitely feels like this is a development opportunity, right? Yeah. Bubble. I think there's certainly certainly a chance. I want to ask you about Lynn Williams because I have a very firm opinion about Lynn Williams. Lynn Williams is wildly divisive, I feel like, when it comes to her role on the national team. But what I have seen both, she's made every single roster since October. I feel like she has such a clear value in Andonovsky's system when it comes to especially the press, the defensive responsibilities of a forward, but also her effectiveness on the wing. Where where are you, do you think she's a lock? 
I mean, if we go on available evidence, it feels like she's either kind of around the bottom of the lock tier or at the top of the second tier headed towards lock. Um, like, she clearly has enormous value to him in the system. The number of minutes she's played, the the uh, level to which that she's successfully executed. Um, she's not banging in goals, but that's not what she's been asked to do in this system. Uh, and so you don't get some of the problems that you get with North Carolina, where she carries so much more of the goal-scoring burden. And I'm a little more critical of her at the club level, because with North Carolina, she's such a low-percentage scorer. Mm-hmm. Like, Lynn Williams is not a sniper. She scores so many goals from North Carolina because they give her 100 chances, uh, as opposed to 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not what she's been asked to do for the women's national team. They're, yeah, score if the opportunity lands there, but Lynn Williams is being asked to perform a very different role for them, and I think she does it really, really well. Um, and I, I don't see how, unless Mal Pugh gets healthy again and then starts performing to like such an exceptional level, how... For like, to compare her with another player who might be like kind of struggling bubble wise to be on that lock spot, I I don't think I don't see how you weigh Lynn Williams' proven work over several games against a player who's more iffy, who's maybe a little bit more injury prone right now for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, if she went to the Olympics, I would not be upset about it. Right. All right. So. With all of this roster by roster, you know, position by position, I, I do think, so looking at previous versions of She Believes Cup and thinking about the teams that were in those tournaments, England, Spain, France, you know, like uh, there was a joke between myself and Jacqueline Purdy at NWSL Media when we both worked there that She Believes Cup was like the winter prestige show as opposed to the pure chaos summer tournament uh, with like Australia, Brazil, where you get like wild games, right? Um, This is a very different She Believes Cup just with Canada, Brazil uh, coming back for it, and then Argentina, right? So we're not necessarily going to get the test that we would have gotten against an England or a Spain, right? But I think that there is real value, especially to playing Canada, as you were saying, in terms of having that physicality <laughs> involved. That's the polite way. Learning but, to take a punch. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Brazil, I think, is also going to be a really interesting test for this team. Argentina, I think it's kind of in that Colombia situation where I'm mostly just glad that they're getting games and we're going to get a, a look at them. And, like, I'm more excited for them than I think I am for anything coming out of the U.S. national team on, on that field. But where... We've been talking so much about like what we should be reading into things. This is, as Vlaco said, still what he considers an experimental roster. We've got a different She Believes Cup. I feel like I'm going to be putting this in kind of a different reading situation than I would the She Believes Cup before another major tournament where it's it's top European teams. This feels like when the professor won't confirm what's going to be on the test, <laughs> but you know them enough to be like, oh, this feels like it could be on the test, so I think I should study it just in case. <laughs> That's what she believes feels like to me right now. 
Mm -hmm. I was not a good student, though. (laughs) But that's I feel like that's a good vibe of just this might not be the final test, but I feel like I should probably know this at the same time. So yeah, it's going to be relevant somehow, even just to the background of some answer. Yeah. I think your point earlier about the tournament format is actually a really good one of just getting some of these players into that routine of a tournament format, even though obviously it is not the same as being in Japan in the Olympics and having kind of all of whatever the Olympics are going to look like (laughs) this summer kind of, but still that sort of, it's a great way to simulate a group stage. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's, Move quickly into the NWSL for a few minutes, although I I do think that obviously U.S. Women's National Team right at the moment is kind of the bigger play. We are now in NWSL preseason. Every single team is having conference calls, which we are both missing right at the moment in order to talk to each other. But I think so it's I mean, it's like 65 days now, basically, (laughs) until an actual season start. Now that we do have more dates, we have an actual start date for Challenge Cup. We have a start date for regular season but is there a storyline from any team that you're keeping an eye on for this extremely extremely extended preseason in the league i could barely keep up with all the preseason rosters which all dropped yesterday (laughs) before record day um there's i i i don't know erica timrak is back yep um (laughs) (laughs) yep that was some Uh, fun news that definitely was I was not prepared for. So yeah, it's it's just something like okay, sure, everything yeah. else is so weird. So this might as well happen. <laughs> it's not even the weirdest thing that could possibly happen. Like there, there, there was confusion between players. I think being on more than one roster or something mm-hmm. yesterday as well. Yeah, yep. but that was just like an office level, like yep. oopsie stuff like that. So I I really don't know. I mean. Um, I think a lot of people are obviously focusing on Louisville just to see if their team like can play. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, you know, in Kansas city is kind of less in that same situation, but kind of still in that same situation of technically an expansion team, though, obviously inheriting a roster, but I think both had like, they still have work to do right ahead of the season. And that's not to say that, I mean, the NWSL trades can happen whenever they feel like happening, and Kansas City came through with that trade with Orlando, right? But I definitely think Louisville is a big one. I mean, the other thing that I'm really looking at is because I think I have very high expectations for Portland this upcoming year, but also who's going to be playing goal at the start of their season just between French not quite being back enough to at least earn a national team call-up, and then... Bixby, obviously, with the the key injury last year. So, I mean, someone joked to me on Twitter, like, this is finally when we get to see Nadine Anger play for Portland. So, like, maybe, maybe we'll get that. I personally would love it. So. I, I will tell you the biggest brain fart moment for me, though, was was Washington Spirit announced as one of their NRIs, uh, Fortuna Village. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. She's Albanian. I'm really sorry. And I was like, why is this name so familiar? Um, it's because she played for the Boston Breakers like seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, but we've seen that, right? Like, um, why am I blanking on her name for Orlando from the Breakers who came back for Challenge Cup? We can't both blank on her name. Oh, no, Mr. Bear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like I can see your face. Kate Howarth. Yes, Kate Howarth. Thank you. Kate Howarth. Right. I mean, that's kind of the weird joy of preseason. Well, first of all, you're getting just like smashed in the face with information after information, right? But then also like you're looking at some of these names. Ashley Nick was on a preseason roster. This go Like we're just seeing people kind of resurface and that's the very interesting thing about preseason. And I mean, it has certainly worked for other players in the past, right? Of of being that kind of non-roster invitee into into the team and then obviously finding success. But I mean, even with Erica Timrak coming back, you know, someone was like, what is happening? And I was like, look at Stephanie Cox for the rain. Like she was, she was done. And then she's back and she just signed another contract. So we do get some of these very fun stories when it comes to the NWSL. But one final work topic. We have a date for the expansion draft for two teams, Angel City FC and Sacramento TBD. Cause I, I don't, couldn't tell you why Sacramento has not decided to say an actual thing about their their team, despite the league confirming it. But December 16th, I feel like the expansion draft for Louisville was its own particular form of chaos. And I'm trying to already start mentally preparing myself for two teams at one time. And now also with the, the knowledge that Jill Ellis will probably be involved on the Sacramento side of things. I just like, I just want people to start thinking about this and just simmering in this fact that we are going to live through this together as a, as a community on December 16th. Meg. Okay. So (laughs) ever since the possibility of double expansion draft, we didn't even have names, but just the thought that maybe one year there will be a double expansion draft happened. I think people were like, well, they can't do it like a normal expansion draft, can they? They can't force every team to give up four players. They have to fiddle with the rules somehow, don't they, Mm -hmm. in order to avoid total... In order to avoid, I don't know, like the the stock market collapsing. (laughs) But at the same time, it's like, do they have to do this? Or like, (laughs) does the league just sometimes give in to chaos and we're like yeah, it's fine it's fine just yeah just do it that way and we'll deal with it and if it causes a lot of chaos and you know people's hearts get broken and teams fall apart you know it's, it's great for the rain you know just <laughs> <laughs> the tweets will be amazing right this is tremendous <laughs> content like yeah. right people's lives are falling apart but this is tremendous content yes so i yeah. i I don't know. There is a rules-making committee that we heard about during the draft mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there were supposed to be rules like to deal with college players who wanted to finish their seasons and rights and things like that. But at this point, to me, it's more of a specter than a real thing. It's just kind of like a ghost ship that you hear about and all the sailors are like, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. And it's like, do you have any evidence of it? It's like, no, 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 but we've seen it. It's there. Trust yeah. us. So... Yeah. Maybe they're working on it. <laughs> I mean, there's time. We have time. We have we have a whole preseason to get through. We have a Challenge Cup. We have a regular season. We have playoffs with six teams, which is a fact that still 
I struggle to retain in my brain that we are going to have expanded playoffs. Like the amount of things that have changed since 2019 when we got like an actual normal season compared to 2021 with new teams and expansion and expanded playoffs and roster rules and allocation money. Like my brain feels very full. So it hit a growth spurt. It's like that weird period sometimes where you grow like four inches over the summer and it's like, you couldn't have spread this out more of my life. I like, you know, the, so yeah. Uh. (laughs) Okay. On that note, do you have any parting thoughts for this podcast? Like what, what are you doing that is not soccer related? What Uh, what are you? I binge watched Ted Lasso finally. Oh, what it's did you an, think? It's an easy binge watch, and I watched it all in in one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it had so much heart. I think I would love to see. So it got renewed for seasons two and three, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see them delve more into the ramifications of, the, of this in the larger world, because if the Ted Lasso situation happened for real, the blistering op-eds that you and I alone would have written on like another man stumbles his way into a job like you know just because a woman is in charge doesn't mean that she doesn't fully participate in you know capitalist uh, hegemonic practices (laughs) and blah 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 and like you know the the show never comments on how few women there are in the press room it's a very realistic Mm -hmm. detail that there's like usually three women in there at any given time but it's like there's never any because com- I understand in the first season they were much more consumed with exploring the characters and their internal world, and now that they have that settled, I hope they expand it out and go more into the ramifications of like, well, what does this mean outside of the world of you know Richmond FC or whatever? But that's me. I'm always, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm always yeah. so into world building. Like I'm still stuck on Jupiter ascending and the implications <laughs> of that movie. And that was from like what 2015, 16. <laughs> yeah, I mean the thing that I really want from Ted Lasso is, so you know how he like plays street ball with that girl. I thought like, she was gonna be same, same something. Yes, but what I really want is for Ted Lasso to be like, why don't we have a women's team? And then. Like he's he gets to also, you know, help them figure out like WSL. I just think you know oh, that yeah. would be that would be fun. You could get you know like Alex Scott to start her like little acting career, and they they actually like Rebecca treats it seriously because she's like, no, I actually give a shit now, and like I really want to spend money and do this well because like I've learned that I should I should care about this and want to do it well. So that's that's personally my. Uh, you know, like if I got hired to write on Ted Lasso, I'd be like, here is our side plot for seasons two and three. <laughs> right. Like Keely gets to start um, a, a women's team. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, I'm very glad that you watched Ted Lasso as everyone who listens to the show got to listen to me rave about Ted Lasso for an extended amount of time. Right. So um, that is delightful. How are you feeling about WandaVision since that is a thing that we talk about? I know. I saw your notes. One division question mark. That's how I feel about it. One division question mark. I think they did the Rambo family dirty in the latest episode. I have enormous feelings about the way that they have handled Maria Rambo off screen, and hopefully that will be rectified in Captain Marvel two. Lashana Lynch is too good to have been treated that way. I love Monica Rambo so much. I don't care about Wanda and Vision. Like the movies never gave us a reason to care about them after Ultron. Mm-hmm. 
Wanda's traumas have always been related to losing some man in her life, and they've never given her anything more to do with than that. And show looks like it's continuing on that trajectory. So, yeah, I'm so <laughs> glad that Monica and Jimmy and Darcy are in there now because I'm like, I care about you. These yes. other two hoo-hahs, like, I have... I, Meg, if there's ever any time, we can go into the nitty gritty of how Civil War was so stupid and how this is another example of how the Sokovia Accords were actually an extremely reasonable thing to ask of the Avengers. Like in a real world scenario, you can't just have some extra legal non-national group with like unlimited authority and no accountability. Mm-hmm. Just on, on like the level of damages alone, who pays to repair buildings that the, the Avengers blows up? Is it Tony yeah. Stark? He doesn't have unlimited money. Yeah. Anyway, this is the okay. bonus step. This that that will be the bonus episode at some point. We'll just right. we'll just get we'll do the deep dive on our Marvel right. thoughts that usually live in our text messages, but then we'll just you know that at some point you never at, know. at some point yeah I okay <laughs> all right on that note I will wrap us up for this week. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for checking in with your Ted Lasso and also U.S. Women's National Team thoughts. Both are very very fun. And uh, I'm sure you will be back on the show at some point because now we have to argue about the Sokovia Award uh, <laughs> courts. God, I hate Tony Stark. Thank you to Steph for being back again. It is always very clear when the things we just text each other about leak into conversations that are arguably work conversations, but honestly, those are probably the best conversations anyway. All right, usually I have one more thing, but today I have a few things. So if you are listening still, thank you. But first, as promised earlier in this episode, please add in and of itself to your list to watch on Hulu. Don't read anything about it before you watch it. Just put it on and watch. Trust me. (laughs) I don't want to say anything else about it, but that hopefully you enjoy it. All right. Second, two really great features from my coworkers this week, but that I wanted to flag for you. First of all, Matt Pence has a really great read on Lynn Williams. It's 100% worth your time. It has insight from Sam Mewis and Jessica McDonald on her as a player and as a human. And this next one is not a women's soccer story, but Chris Kamrani, who's obviously been on the show a bunch, has an amazing, amazing feature on Bill Walton that is just a wild, delightful look into that man's brain and state of being. (laughs) There are links to both stories in the show notes. All right. So as always, the new home for the show is at fulltimepod.com. We have the new trailer for 2021 ready for sharing. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Athletic Podcasts, links to everywhere that you could want to listen. Make sure that you subscribe. You can share the show with a friend or two. Again, as always, you know the drill on this front. Thank you for your subscriptions, your ratings, and reviews. They all help grow this show, as well as your engagement, retweets, Instagram stories, everything else that you're doing to support this podcast and its growth. Thank you, as always. Now, one final reminder, if you do want more women's soccer content, if you want to read Matt Pence's story on Lynn Williams, everything else The Athletic has to offer, again, you can start your new subscription at theathletic.com slash full-time. You can find me on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan. Thank you for listening. <laughs>